The most common regret is that they didn't talk about the logistics and what they would have wanted before they couldn't answer the questions anymore. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. How do you honor your parents' desires when they need care while keeping them safe? How do you balance caring for your aging parents, caring for your spouse and children, and holding down a full-time job? What does honoring your parents look like as you grow older? Joining us today to answer these questions is one of our favorite seminary professors and my friend, whose expertise bridges the realms of faith, philosophy, and healthcare ethics. Dr. Bill Davis is a professor of philosophy at Covenant College, an adjunct professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, and an elder in the Presbyterian Church. He has spent over two decades on hospital ethics committees, confronting the profound challenges of end-of-life care decisions. He brings a wealth of knowledge, compassion, and biblical insight to the topic, and he captured this wisdom in his book, Departing in Peace. Dr. Davis has been at the forefront of exploring the delicate balance between respecting an individual's autonomy and ensuring that the values and beliefs of our aging loved ones are cherished and God is honored in their most vulnerable moments. Today, we'll dive deep into the dilemmas families face, the difficult decisions they must make, and the importance of addressing the spiritual and emotional needs of our aging loved ones. So whether you are currently caring for aging parents or preparing for the future, this insightful two-part episode promises to provide valuable insight into questions Christians commonly ask about elder care. Well, today we have probably one of our most common guests. I think that's about right. Dr. Bill Davis is uh, back for about the fourth or fifth time. Who knows? We've had a lot of conversations, and I am always grateful and um, encouraged and edified by my time with Dr. Davis. And um, I know so many of you have been blessed listening to our episodes with him. And so today we are talking about caring for our aging loved ones. And he is the author of the book, Departing in Peace. And you have a new book that you're working on, which is on this exact subject matter. Right. Thank you, Dr. Davis, for taking the time in your day to be on Candid Conversations. Thank you, Jonathan. Let's talk about this book. What's the difference between this new research you're doing and the Departing in Peace book? Uh, The Departing in Peace book focused on uh, making decisions for loved ones who are unable to make decisions for themselves in the hospital. So it was end of life decision making. And typically, you're making decisions for a loved one who is either unconscious or maybe medication or because the pain is too great, needed someone else to speak for them. Mm. And that was the result of 25 years 
of serving on hospital ethics committees mm. and seeing the very same thing happen over and over and over again. Over. And most often happening with Christians mm. who believed that uh, because they were pro-life about the beginning of life, they had to be pro-life about the end of life and use all the machines as long as the machines would work. Right. And I don't think that's what the Bible says, that mm. we have to use all the machines possible to stay alive as long as possible. I think the scriptures teach that it's permissible to choose a shorter life over a longer one in order to accomplish a great good. You can't give up your life. Right. Um, you can't certainly can't take your life or have somebody else take your life, but you can make choices so that uh, you can discontinue intubation. You're on a ventilator that's breathing for you. You can discontinue that because it's accomplishing nothing you're unconscious and never going to regain consciousness. That's right. a, a clear case. Yeah. You can discontinue that and go to be with Jesus because what the treatment is depriving you of all of the spiritual joys, mm. except for direct communion with God. And we don't know what's going on then. And it's also costing a lot of money and it's all right to take that into account and to say, um, I would like my resources devoted to something else. Yeah. So, the reception of the book has been uh, very positive. It's usually not read by people before they're in the hospital. It's usually read by people after they've been in a hospital who then want to lead a Sunday school class so that other people don't have to go right. through what they went through. Right. I have the complete curriculum for a four-week Sunday school series. You don't even have to read the book, but if you read the book, you could lead the Sunday school series. I've got the handouts and the activities, and you can have that. There's a website. You can download the whole Sunday school series and teach it. Now, people have been using it for that purpose. Right. And uh, good feedback about people feeling more confident about mm. making choices for their parents should that ever happen. Right. So as a result of that work, I've ended up speaking in assisted living facilities, mm. and nursing homes. So events for families of people who are in retirement with assisted living. And it's in that context that I've gotten to know, and I'm 63 years old, and many of my friends also have parents who are mm -hmm. nearing the end of their earthly race, but not physically sick. Their brains aren't working very well anymore. They're in a memory care unit with Alzheimer's or they have dementia that makes it so that they don't remember their children's names Yeah. or they're mildly cognitively impaired. So they don't trust themselves or they're anxious about driving because they can't predict when they're not going to remember where they are. Right. Uh, so there's this continuum from where you are when you're at the zenith of your intellectual powers. And I don't know where that is. And I'm pretty sure that it's in the rear view mirror for me. Um, I don't feel like I'm way over the hill, but I'm, I know that I'm over the hill. There are things that I just can't remember. Right. Uh, but that's, that's ordinary aging. That's yeah. well, one of the things when you get into this literature, there's all kinds of uh, warnings don't take a momentary memory lapse as evidence that right. you have uh, dementia right. or that you're, you're now starting to unravel very quickly. So there's ordinary aging things and then there's 
signs that you need to get tested. Yeah. And I was talking to an Alzheimer's specialist last week and I asked the specialist, should I be getting a cognitive baseline test so that someday compare, they yeah. compare, right? They could test me right. again. So there's simple just question and answer tests, but then there's also imaging you can do of your brain. And this uh, Alzheimer's specialist said, I wish everyone between the age of 60 and 65 would get a cognitive baseline test. Now, getting your insurance company to pay for it, that might be complicated. You want to talk to your primary care physician. You can't just walk in and say, I want the test. Talk to your primary care physician about history in your family. That would be grounds. Or you've had moments of not remembering what things that you thought you, like you should have remembered. And so you just need grounds. You can't yeah. just say, I'm curious Yeah, if there needs to be a medically indicated reason for the tests. So spending time with people who were looking ahead, mm. needing people to make more than medical decisions for them, right? So when do you take the car keys away from someone to protect the rest of the world? Yeah. Because right. you know, car is a large, right. dangerous object. And if you're starting, like at what point do you do that? So the focus of the book is going to be the fifth commandment, honoring your parents, honoring your parents as they decline cognitively. Mm. Which is, it's not honoring all old people. Uh, it turns out that it's really complicated because, first of all, biblical information about people with dementia is super limited. Right. And this is, again, just like the end of life things, CPR wasn't taught in medical schools until 1964. It's been only 60 years that you attempted to restart someone's heart if it stopped mm. in any systematic, in, a me in any medical way. And right. the same thing with mechanical ventilation. That's just in my lifetime. Well, it's also the case that prior to the last 70 or 80 years, if you had dementia of the kind that now means you need to live in a facility where people are keeping an eye on you and making sure that you get, you go to meals and uh, do the I mean, people who help you with the affairs of ordinary daily living. It's only been about 80 years before that. If you had that condition, you died. Yeah. You died because the world was considerably more dangerous. You got pneumonia and you died. This was before we could just treat the pneumonia with penicillin. And so it's only been in the last 80 years or so that we had a significant portion of the population that was physically okay, but mentally couldn't make decisions for themselves. Yeah. And when you look at the Bible and say, so where does it describe <laughs> saints caring for demented people? Right. There's almost no examples. Yeah. I would say there's no examples, but there's... There's some interesting cases. Uh, Noah gets drunk after they get off the ark. Right. Now, being drunk is not dementia, <laughs> but he is impaired, right. and he behaves in a way that is humiliating, yes. maybe sinful. It's really, it's really hard to tell. He gets drunk, and one of his sons mocks him, and the other two sons protect him. Hmm. And so I think we get pictures of how older people who need to be honored, especially by their children, we get pictures of it. Mm. So when you set out to write a book, it's one thing to go on a podcast or to publish a blog. 
Right. Because you don't have to convince anybody that there will be a market to buy it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but if you're going to publish a book, you have to convince a publisher that there's a need. And uh, the way they think about it is like, here's, there's a hole. There's all the books there are in the world. Is there a hole in it? A question that people who buy books <laughs> would want answered. Is there this market hole? And so that's what I've been working on is trying to figure yeah. out, suppose I had questions about uh, when to take the car keys or can I, is it consistent with honoring my mother that I would take the car keys away from her by force? I go to my mom, I say, mom, I know you're legally able to drive, but it's sure looking like a bad idea. And I'm right. using my mom because my mom is 88 years old and sharp as a tack, still driving. I am not considering taking the keys away from mom. She still drives more safely than most people. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm not considering. So I'm going to use my mom as an example, not because I'm sending a veiled message through this podcast to my mom, um, but because I can imagine the conversation. <laughs> she loves candid conversations. That's right. And she has heard me on this podcast. So <laughs> a lot of people face this. So, Maybe you would think that the fifth commandment says it's just never going to be right because to show honor to your parents means that you're never going to usurp their authority. Right. Um, other people are going to have to do it. The law is going to have to step in and maybe it dishonors your parents to tell the police to look out for your mom. <laughs> and certainly I can imagine uh, people thinking that would be a violation of my duty to honor my mother. So how is it going to work? If you look in the literature, almost all the books that you can get about a positive relationship with a parent who's cognitively declining, almost all the Christian books are accounts by people who just walked alongside a parent as they got less and less able. The parent died. They had kept a journal and they published the journal along with some reflections. And it's heartbreaking to read. Um, I don't want to say anything negative about the people who do this because almost always they're writing a book as an act of love. They were beautiful children to their parents doing the things that honor requires, which means that you protect them from humiliation, you protect their dignity, and you provide for them, you provide a safe place for them, and you provide food, and you provide uh, conversation partners insofar as they're able to carry on conversations. Yeah. And when you reach the point where you can't take care of them safely at home, either because of your own family situation, or because it's now medically complicated, or it's just not safe, there's lots of reasons why. You do the work to find a place where they will be cared for, uh, cared for safely. That's all beautiful, honoring stuff. The word for honor in in the Old Testament is a word that means heavy. Mm, yeah. The kavod word, yeah. Yeah. Um, weighty. And then the word in the New Testament for honor, when Paul picks it up in Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother, the Greek word is the word for esteem to hold in high regard in both cases it's about worthiness yeah and so the biblical teaching is that your parents are always worthy of your time and attention respect and provision 
at some level. They're always worthy of it. It doesn't mean that you, they're always going to be the most important thing because your children are also uh, a responsibility that you have. And so you can't neglect your children in order to provide everything for your parents. Yeah. But they're always worthy of consideration. You know, you can't just say, sorry, everything else is more important. Right. There's a tendency now in the Christian books on this. I really do want to express appreciation for almost all these books. But there's a tendency now to say the best way to think about it is that your parents are now effectively your children. Right. Because the things you're doing for them, protecting them from unsafe things, uh, changing their diapers, yeah. mashing their food up so that yeah. they can take it in small bites in a straw. Those are all the sorts of things that you did for your children that right. you're doing even now with your children, Jonathan. Right. Um, so why not think, oh, the roles have switched. Right. I used to be their child. Now they're my child. And mm -hmm. I think that's right in a lot of cases. But one of the pieces of research for the book is just to generate a long list of circumstances in which it is not okay to treat your parents like they're your children. So right. here's the shortest, simplest example that I can give. Uh, you're at the airport. You've got your two-year-old and your 80-year-old. Your two-year-old is your child and the 80-year-old is your grandfather. <laughs> and both of them are in diapers and you're waiting to, to board the plane and both of them mess their diapers. With the two-year-old right there in, you know, you, you put the changing mat down and right there in fr front of everybody, you whip off the diaper, <laughs> clean them up and put a new one on. Not so you're much. You're not going to do that with yeah. your dad, with your right. granddad. Right. You're going to go to the restroom. You're going to go to a place where his dignity can be protected. Yeah. Even if he's, his cognitive impairment is such mm. that he won't remember anything about sure. it. Yeah. He's still your dad. Yeah. And I think what the way we want to, to think about it is your parents are always your parents yeah. and you become their advocates, not their parents is you're looking to make the choices that they would make based on what you know about their values. So yeah. here's another case where you would not treat your cognitively impaired parents. Suppose that your parents had like uh, my father's uh, gone to be with the Lord. My mom is still alive. So I'm going to talk about my mom. So suppose my mom has income from the portfolio that she has, mm -hmm. and she's careful to tithe on her income. Yeah. But she's also able to make all these choices. But suppose she lost the ability to make choices, but she was still generating income. Yeah. Uh, but suppose I also had a use I could make of that money, and now I control her finances. Mm. Can I stop tithing? for my mom in order to make more resources available for the stuff I need to do. Mm. Well, um, no, <laughs> right. That's not because you know what your mom would have done. I know what mom would have done and it's her money. Right. And I think as long as it's my mom's money, my job is to do the, the, what she would do provided it's not sinful. And believe me, my mom would not be wanting anything sinful done with her money. All of these questions get way more difficult mm. when your parents are not believers. Yes. When your parents are believers but want to do foolish things with their money. And I don't mean low level. You just don't agree about that, you know, that choice of paint for the 
right. to the entryway. Right. Uh, like they want to spend all their money on a radio preacher they heard who's a prosperity gospel person, right? So is mm-hmm. that sin? Right. Uh, no, but is it foolish? Um, well, it might be the sort of thing that your parents, even when they were in their completely in their right mind, would have sent money Still, to. Yeah, right. right. So uh, all of these questions get harder when your yeah. parents aren't believers. They are believers, but they would make foolish choices. They're unpleasant people. Mm. Right. So there are both believers and unbelievers who are just, especially inside of families where bad habits arise in the relationships where there's just maybe not full on actionable criminal abuse, but psychological hectoring. Mm. And you don't want to spend time together. So uh, I did a, a seminar on this a month ago and during the seminar, I said, so I'm going to give you some cases. We're going to talk about what to do in these cases. One of them was the tithing case. Yeah. Um, but then if you have circumstances in your own life, there are pieces of paper here. Just anonymously write out what you're facing. So in order for me to do a responsible job writing about it, I need to know the range of things that you're dealing with. Yes. And I think that if you have an opportunity to express it anonymously, I won't be able to send you an answer but I will be able to think through, you know, what I think the Bible says about things yeah. like that. Yeah. And many of them did. It was at a convention for pastors. Right. So these are pastors and their spouses, <laughs> like 90 of them. And they're writing out. So anonymously, they're writing out things. The most uh, and extremely helpful because it's not what you get when you say you want to raise your hand and tell a story. Right. When you raise your hand and tell a story, um, at the very least, you look good. Right. And you got to protect some image there. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, but so one of them begins, I don't like my mom, <laughs> but I'm the only surviving child. I, wow. uh, I know that I owe it to her to care for her. Mm. Um, every minute with her is an assault. Uh, because in her impairment, she remembers my name. She remembers I'm her daughter but she doesn't remember anything else about the past, but she's retained all the habits of telling me every bad thing I've ever done. Mm. And so all the time I spend with her, it's just a constant barrage of my failures. It's painful. Yeah. What does the fifth commandment require of me? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, so I think I have something to say to that. And, um, I haven't road tested this with very many people. So Jonathan, you can tell me what you think because okay. you can be my like outrigger conscience on this. I think as long as you're spending your parents' resources, but resources are not just money. Resources include time and mm. energy and reputation, networks of friends, but all those things, as long as you're spending their resources, you want to spend them the way they would have. But the circumstance where your mom is really hard to be around because she like verbally abuses you. Now the question is, how are you going to spend your resources, your time, your energy? Because hmm. it's if you're going to drain all of it, you've got your own children to care for. If you're going to drain all of it being tongue lashed by your mother who doesn't know what she's doing. Right. Right. She, she isn't thinking, she isn't planning. What are the 10 
awful things I'm going to say to my daughter the next yeah. time she sees it's me. It's just coming it's, out. It's just coming out. Yeah. So are you obligated to, even though you have good reason to believe that your mother would want you to be there as much as possible to be smacked around? Mm. <laughs> that really is what she'd want. Um, well, when it's, you can treat her as worthy, you can honor her by taking that desire into consideration, but you don't have to obey. You have to take it into consideration. And then you're doing a balancing thing. I can spend time with her. I'm going to spend some time with her, but not as much as I know she would have chosen mm -hmm. because it will come at a cost to other people that I have obligations to, including to my own sanity. Right. The non-Christian literature on honoring parents in their decline increasingly starts with, number one, take care of yourself. Mm, of course. Self-preservation. Right. Now when I'm reading books, because I'm trying to get a sense of the literature, when I'm reading books, I say, so on what page is the first mention of burnout or compassion fatigue? <laughs> How far do I get? So right. a Christian book that I read yesterday on this topic is like 180 pages. And on the next to the last page, it did say compassion fatigue is a real thing. Honoring your parents is extremely important. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's the right mix. It's got to show up somewhere, but it doesn't show up on page two. Right. Um, but increasingly, the secular literature about this says the most important thing you need to know is that this will threaten to ruin your life. Being there, honoring your parents, especially when they don't recognize you anymore, you know, especially mm. when they become dependent mm. on you. Don't let them ruin your life. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem like honoring to me. Well, and they're also not tapping into a resource like the Holy Spirit. Right. So they're <laughs> right. They're, they're not operating out of pure flesh. <laughs> right. They're operating out of the flesh. There is a role for the church in this. Yeah. Because American society encourages us to be little islands mm -hmm. of entirely self-sufficient little worlds in our houses. Which and is... Very uh, unhelpful. Yeah. And we believe it's just a failing. Right. Uh, to to ask for help. Right. And Even it goes, it goes against creation. I mean, it's not right. The, the yeah. independent uh, nature of the fallen world where the church could be looking for opportunities yeah. to provide respite care. In, yeah. We have a, a lookout mountain press where I'm a member. We have a, a caregiver support group mm. and I spoke to them a couple months ago and there are like 80 people <laughs> who showed up. You don't need a program. Yeah. The program can just be, tell me what you're dealing with now. And they lead people away from griping. It's not complaining about your parents. Right. It's talking about what you're finding hard mm. so that others can pray for you. And it's not mm. gossiping about your parents. No. Right. So, I don't know that you'd have to have somebody there to lead it, but it wouldn't be bad to have a member of the pastoral staff yes. who is there both because they've got a lot of practice and are comfortable praying. Yeah. And you, you don't want people to be shy about showing up because they don't want to be put on the spot to pray. Right. But to have somebody there who can call on people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But just hearing what other people are facing mm. and knowing that we're going to pray for them now and, 
when you're in the midst of it, just discovering that you're not alone uh, it's a, uh, makes an enormous difference. And so difference. Um, some kind of support group for caregivers. And mm. then they also hear, I don't think I can take a vacation. I don't think I can go out of town for vacation this year because I don't know who would look in right. on my mother. My mother lives, uh, this is true for me, my mother lives by herself in the big house that I grew up in, which makes me happy, probably irrationally happy. <laughs> because it is a lot for her to keep up with. Yeah. Um, but it is also the case that there are people who just check in, see how she's doing. She's fine. But there are people where it wouldn't be safe if nobody checked in right. once a day, just if only to make sure they took their meds. Sure. All right. So there are people who are fine except for keeping up with those pills. So it doesn't have to be a nurse, just some, a family member who leans in. But so you say, I don't think I can take vacation this year because there's no one. And then there's like eight other people in the group that says, well, I'll, I'd be happy wow. uh, yeah. to, to stop off. Um, I remember your mother. She taught me in Sunday school. That was one of the more beautiful ones. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't think I've talked to her for 15 years, but I certainly know her and you could introduce me to her and then she'd be comfortable with me coming in. Wow. So the church can be mm. a resource, mm. Mm. Uh, providing a space where people can hear about needs and step up. It, it's also the case that the deacons could go find needs yeah. and connect people with needs, people who've got time. It's also the case that people who are retired and not cognitively impaired, there are people in the congregation that they could just go for a walk with. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have that service such as it is people who connect retired people with older people who need visitors or wow. someone to go for a walk with them, have a conversation with. Yeah. Right. Uh, mm, mm. So I think the church can be a big part of the solution. Increasingly in the secular literature, there isn't, everything is something you're going to pay for. And because yeah. of licensing and because of the threat that people would misuse the opportunity to go into people's homes that threat makes the cost of in-home visits or care really high. Mm. I'm not complaining about the cost. It's appropriately mm. high mm. because uh, vetting and liability and all of that, we're talking about people uh, who are vulnerable yes. and we would like for them not to be exploited. And we've seen all those stories in the news of, of right. that taking place. Yeah. So when you think about the, the cost of in-home health care, and you think, come on, how hard is it? How could it possibly be $29 an hour to have someone sit through the night with my loved one? Uh, think hard about <laughs> what kind of protection you want there to be yeah. and what kind of process you want in place to make sure that there aren't people who are going to use this as an opportunity. Right. But it is expensive. It looks like most of the imagination for people who don't have the church is it's going to be catastrophically expensive to get help. So, but inside the church, yeah. not that we're all perfectly trustworthy, but there is an opportunity for people in the church to bear each other's burdens mm. on this. Mm. So I think I've got just two takeaways at the moment. Your parents are never your children. You're their advocates. So you're making choices that they would make. Sometimes the choices they would make are that their diaper would be changed and that their food would be mashed up, you know, so that they could swallow it more easily. But even then, they're not your children. They're your parents who are honored by you providing a safe place 
cutting their food up small, singing Jesus loves me to them. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they're still your parents. They're mm. your parents. You're their advocate. That's what it means to treat them as worthy. So that'd be the first one. Mm. The second one is when you're spending your own resources, what your parents want from you is, has to be taken very, very seriously, but it doesn't override absolutely every other consideration in your life. It is worth asking, am I being selfish? <laughs> but right. the answer could be no. The answer right. could be, I am not being selfish. I've got other people who I serve. Um, I need to make sure that I've got anything left in the tank in order to serve all the yeah. people that I serve. Uh, but drawing a distinction between your resources and their resources may help you when it's your resources. What they would want is advice. It's just like they gave you advice when they were entirely intellectually capable mm. and you took it seriously, but you didn't think you had to do exactly what they said when you were a grown up. And they mm. also didn't think that you had to do exactly what they said. Your parents are not likely to tell you when you're 35 years old, you need to sell that car and buy a Maserati and think that you have to. Right. Or they're, they're, they're not going to walk into your house and say, uh, I can smell the carpet again. I command you to tear up your carpet and put in something else. Though there are situations where people do think that that has to happen. That's right. <laughs> Even um, in those eight older ages. They do, but they don't really believe that you have to obey right. them. They yeah, might be they're... frustrated, but they're typically they're, what they're frustrated about is that you're not listening. Yeah. I think that the fifth commandment calls us when our parents want to give us advice. Listen. We need to show them that we're mm. listening. Uh, reflect back what they said, give reasons why maybe we're not going to do that. You don't have to win an argument, yeah, but you do have to show that you're listening. The, the biblical warnings about ignoring your parents are pretty stark. You know, if you ignore the words of your parents, mm -hmm. it's going to be bad for you and humiliating for them. So uh, Proverbs just says, don't despise your dad or run your mother off. Yeah. Don't drive her away, it says. Well, okay, don't do that. Listen to them. <laughs> right. It doesn't, it doesn't mean do prescription-wise everything that's right. handed out. Yeah. Yeah, when you're six, yes. <laughs> right. And I understand a lot of this depends on people's upbringing and their yeah. experience with their parents has led them to believe mom and dad are not worth listening to or mom right. and dad are worth listening to. So I, I understand there's spectrum in there, but I think you're right in that, you know, even if it's an unbelieving parent, there can be wisdom in there is. the yeah. advice they're giving. And so it, it's worth weighing out considering. I think that's a helpful approach to that. Right. So just treat them as this is the treating them as worthy. They're worth listening to which is not the same thing as you're obligated to obey them. Yeah. I think when you're a child, you are. <laughs> you can tell that to my children. That's right. This insightful conversation with Dr. Davis will continue on next week's episode of Candid Conversations. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. 
As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.